Well, how's everyone doing this morning? I didn't get as good of a response as the Cowboys. You guys doing okay? It's good to see you this morning. Um, We are so glad that you're here once again. If you're our guest, if you're new to church or new to um, NCC, we want to welcome you and say thanks so much for joining us. And if I haven't met you yet, my name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're excited that you're with us, and I'm excited for this message. In the middle of December, I was praying praying about this new year. I was praying for you guys as the church and just asking God what he wanted to speak to us as we opened up in this first Sunday morning. And I felt like he laid this message on my heart. And so I've been working the past few weeks just thinking about this message, praying over, and I hope you came expecting today, expecting God to speak to you, expecting God's presence to minister. And we're gonna end our time together by gathering around the Lord's table and taking communion together. So at the end of service, we're going to carve out a little bit of time. I'm going to try to keep the message a little bit shorter this morning so we have time to do that. And if you're new, once again, I just want you to know at the end of service, you don't have to be a member. Okay, You don't have to have gone through some class or belong here at NCC in order to gather around the Lord's table with us. We believe that anyone that has admitted, God, I'm a sinner and I'm broken and invited Christ into their life and that you believe that God is the Lord and Savior of your life you are more than welcome to join with us and to partake of communion with us. And so I believe that there's something God wants to speak to us this morning. And so I want to share with you a message that I'm calling Carried to the Table and what it means to gather around the table of the Lord and the presence of the Lord and what we find in those moments as we do that. And we're going to look at a story from Scripture that reflects that and that we can kind of see our lives in the picture of that story as we look at that together this morning. And as I was thinking about this, I thought a number of years ago, um, whenever, before we moved to Mesquite, we were at a different church and we were involved in kind of a college ministry that was leading um, students that were studying for ministry and um, were training to go into into full-time ministry. And every year at the end of the year, we would go to a Rangers game together. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a Rangers game, but we did this. I look forward to it every year. And I remember one of the first years, we had a large group. There's probably about 60 or 80 students and then all of the leaders. And so we had the cheap kind of nosebleed seats, right? I mean, we're up there where you have to have binoculars to see the game. You can barely see it. But as we're making our way into the stadium, I had never been there before. So I'm just following this line of people. And there's about 10 of the college students that are with me. And some of them have broken off and they've gone into other areas. We were making our way up. So I'm just following this line and we're walking up these steep stairs. And at the top, there's a guy there. And so I get up there and he says, hold out your wrist. So I hold out my wrist and he puts a bracelet on it. So I'm thinking, okay, this must be to get me to my seat or wherever I'm going. And so the rest of our group, they make it through and they do the exact same thing. They put a bracelet on it. We don't know what it's for. And as we're getting ready to head to our seat, this guy stops us and he's like, hey, I don't know where you're going, but that bracelet means you can go into this priority seating. And I'm thinking, okay. So we went and said hi to the group real quick. And then, cause we didn't want to be mean. And then we left and you guys, I went into ballpark heaven. Don't know if you've ever been there. Okay. But the glass doors open. There's another guard there that checked my bracelet and we walk in and there is unlimited hot dogs, all of the condiments and the fixings that you want on them. There's fountains of nacho cheese. It's just pouring down like a beautiful waterfall, okay? There's all you can drink, soda and chicken tenders, all of this kind of ballpark food. And we're in heaven and, and I'm just eating. There's a glassed-in, air-conditioned seating, like luxury seats where you kind of lean back in them. There's not these hard ballpark benches, you know, that you're sitting on. Like, it is an amazing moment. And I'm waiting 
As I'm going through the game, I'm so nervous that someone's going to come tap me on the shoulder and say, you shouldn't be here. But I had the bracelet, you guys, and they let me in. And so I don't know what the accident, I don't know why the guy gave all of us the bracelet, but we ended up with it. And this is like the best memory I have of going to the ballpark. And I want to talk about that this morning because there are times where we may approach God's presence and think, hey, we don't belong here. And it doesn't matter who you are. As we come to Christ, man, he has given us a seat at his table and he provides for us. And he blesses us in ways that we don't deserve, that we can't earn, that we can't pay for. And so I want to look at the life of an individual that felt that blessing that's reflected in a story that we see in the Bible of our lives. And so as we get ready to look at this, I just want to remind you, it's so important that we capture this idea, that we remember that none of us in this room, doesn't matter if you grew up in church, it doesn't matter if this is your first Sunday, none of us came to this place of being in a relationship with God, of approaching God on our own, by our own merit, by our own strength, by the works that we've done. Each of us come just out of the grace and out of the love of God. And if we forget that, if we miss the point of this message this morning, we become Christians that are prideful. Like we think, God, you kind of helped me out along the way and thank you for that, Jesus, but I'm doing this on my own now. You've probably been around those people. They're very unpleasant to be around and and there's pride in their life. They think their life, their wife, their family, their finances, their job, all of that stuff that they did it on their own. And that is not the case. Each of us are here because of the grace of God and the goodness of God. If we're not careful, kind of the flip side of that coin is we can approach moments like this. You can come into church week after week. You can be in God's presence week after week and you can come with the wrong mindset. You can believe the lies of the enemy that your past has to predict your future. That what you've done before is all you will ever amount to and it's all you will ever be. And that's not what we find at the table of the Lord. That's not what we find in the presence of the Lord. And so I wanna make sure that we understand the heart of this, that each of us, we've been carried to the table of the Lord simply by his grace and by his goodness. And this is what we see in that story. So if you have your Bibles, turn this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a blue Bible in the seat in front of you. You can turn to page 149 in that Bible, maybe one or two seats over. But I wanna encourage everyone, take out your Bible, take out your phone, Google 2 Samuel chapter nine. We're gonna start reading at verse one. You can follow along with us. We wanna open up God's word and read this together. And once you have that, hold on to that for just a moment. Once again, if you're new to church or if you've never read the Bible and you don't know what's going on in 2 Samuel, let me give you a quick snapshot. In the book of 2 Samuel, the people of God have, they've settled in the land that God has given them. This is God's chosen people and they've settled in the promised land. And they start to look around and they're saying, God, we're not like other nations, but we want to be. And so we want a king. And God says, wait, I'm your king. I'm the one who guides you. I'm the one who protects you. I'm the one who looks after you. And they're like, okay, God, that's good and fine, but we want a physical king. We want someone to sit on a throne. God says, that's not gonna work out good for you. And they don't care. They're like, just give us a king. And so he does. He warns them, but he gives them King Saul. And everything starts out okay, but then exactly what God told him would take place, it happens. And Saul's heart turns. Saul becomes disobedient. He becomes prideful. He tells God, you know what? I'm going to do this my own way. I'm not going to follow your instructions. I'm not going to follow your rules. And he starts to lead the kingdom away from God. And God says, okay, Saul, not going to allow you to lead my people away from me. I'm going to raise up another king. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Well, this upsets King Saul. 
And so he gets mad at this new king, King David, that God is anointed and that God's going to establish after Saul is gone. And he becomes so jealous, he starts to hunt down David. He wants to kill him. He wants to end his life. He becomes so mad that Jonathan, Saul's son, and David are best friends. And he tries to kill his own son just for being friends with David. There's this jealousy. This guy has kind of gone insane. And then the day comes where God fulfills what he says. Saul and Jonathan are out in battle. They're fighting the enemies of the Lord and they fall by the sword. Their life is ended. And just as God spoke, David is now placed into, um, placed on the throne. He's placed as king over Israel. And while all of this is taking place, people start to flee the palace. They don't know what's gonna happen in the government. They don't know what's gonna take place. And Jonathan's son, he had a little baby son, is being carried away from the palace. And as he's carried away, he's dropped. This little baby's dropped. And it crushes his legs. It does some kind of damage to his legs. And he ends up a cripple. And this is where we pick up the story. As David sits on the throne now, he begins to ask his advisors. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9. David said, is there still anyone in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Zippah, and they called him to David, and the king said, are you Zippah? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Zippah said, there's still the son of David. He's a cripple in the feet, though. And the king said, where is he? And Zippah said to the king, he is in the house of Matcher, the son of Emil at Lodabar. So the king David um, brought him from the house of Matcher to the son of Emil and Lodabar, and Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. Now, let me just stop and say, I don't know if that's how you pronounce these names, you guys. Just trying my best here, okay? I don't know why God put these names in the Bible, but they're there, okay? So Mephibosheth, I think that's how you pronounce his name, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, and he fell on his face, and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, behold, I am your servant. And David said, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then you go on and David talks about how he restores, how he's going to restore him and how he's establishing him. And in verse 12, it says this, Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah and he lived in Ziba's house and he became Mephibosheth's servant. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. So I'm reading this story and I'm trying to think about what's going on, the time that they lived in. And you have to understand some cultural things here to kind of understand what's taking place and why this has even happened to Mephibosheth and what has taken place. Now, we live in a democracy. And every four years, okay, you may cheer, you may boo, a different political person is put into power, right? Sometimes it's the same political party. Sometimes it's a different political party. But whenever that happens, it's somewhat peaceful, People aren't fleeing out of the White House scared for their life, right? Their jobs may be in danger, but as the new president comes in, he's not going to kill anyone. He's not going to execute anyone. So it's a little bit different in the democracy where you live in as in the time that this was taking place. Because at this point, whenever a new king would rise to power, he would hunt down anyone from the old kingdom. And if you were a family member, a brother, a sister, a wife, moms, dads, siblings, any of these, he would go after them, and he would end their lives. He would kill them. 
That's typically what took place because he didn't want anyone else to have claim to the throne that the new king was rising to. And so that's why everyone's fleeing the palace as soon as they find out that Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead and that David is going to be the new king. And it's in this rush, it's in this hurry that Mephibosheth is dropped and he's injured and now he's crippled for life. That's just how he's going to live. His legs will never fully heal, and he'll be a cripple all of his life. And yet when David comes into power, he's a different kind of king. He's not like everyone else. And so as he enters into power, he says things like, hey, is there anyone that's left in the house of Saul. And probably everyone thought, okay, David, we know what you're about to do. We know what you're going after. Like you're gonna kill them to make sure that no one else can have a right, a claim to the throne. And he said, no, no, I want to show kindness to them. This is a matter of fact what he said. I wanna show them the compassion of God. How God has treated me, that's how I wanna treat the house of Saul. We're not gonna hunt them down. We're not gonna end their lives. I want to show kindness and compassion to them. And so Mephibosheth, whenever he's brought, you you can see there's trembling in his voice. There's there's fear in his eyes. He's scared and he's thinking, okay, I know what's about to happen. And yet David looks at him and he says, don't be afraid. I've brought you here not to end your life, not to seek vengeance on you for all of the times that Saul was trying to kill me. I've brought you here because I want to show kindness. I want to show compassion to you. Let me just pause right here and say, you know what? Sometimes we don't understand. We're like Mephibosheth standing before David. We don't understand the kind of God that we serve. And I'm here to remind you this morning, church, whether you understand it or not, whether you know it or not, God is showing compassion and he's showing kindness just like we see David. He invites you and me, even though we don't belong, and we're gonna see that as this story unfolds. We may not feel like we belong, but God extends his kindness and his compassion and his grace and his love over our lives. That's what he does for each and every one of us. And so we see the goodness of God reflected in the life of David as he builds this relationship with Mephibosheth. And so as he entered into the king's presence, there were things that were provided for him. There was something that the table did that it covered over his life. And so I want to look at three things, and then I want us to take time and gather around the table of the Lord. And the first thing that we see is the table of the Lord covers your lack. The table of the Lord covers your lack. Whatever it is that you lack in your life, as you come into the presence of God, as you come around the table of the Lord, it's provided there. David said to him, don't be afraid, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And you stop, and as I was stopping and reading this story over and over again and thinking, he lived in a time where your value was off of what you could produce. I mean, there weren't nice, easy jobs where you worked in some high rise in downtown Dallas, where you worked behind a desk. I mean, almost their entire system was an agricultural system. It was a working, it was a toiling system. You had to be able to produce something in order to provide for your family, in order to provide for yourself. And so Mephibosheth, he's just reliant on other people. If others aren't gracious, if others aren't generous, he's not gonna make it. He's not gonna get by. He knows what it's like to be in poverty and to be in lack because he can't provide for himself. That's not the kind of world that he lives in. And yet this one day in this one moment, he's invited into the king's courtroom. And in that one moment, everything changes when the king says, you know what? 
Everything that's been taken from you, all of Saul's land, I give it back to you. Not gonna take it for myself. Not gonna bring it as part of my kingdom. I give it to you, Mephibosheth, as your inheritance. Hey, anytime that you need food, anything that you need every single day, every meal, you're invited to the king. Come and eat whatever it is that we have set out. It's here for you. I invite you in. All of a sudden, one day, his circumstances changed because he came into the king's presence. Because he came around the king's table, everything looked different. I remember this vivid picture of this. Whenever I was on a missions trip in Colombia, we were in the capital there in Bogota. And it was um, an off day. We weren't ministering in the schools on that day. And so we were walking around kind of sightseeing in the capital there. And the group is going in and out of shops and I'm kind of walking with them. And I notice this person, he's a cripple. He's lost both of his legs. It's this older gentleman. And I kind of watched him as we went in and out of stores and he would crawl on his arms and just scoot himself over in the middle of the sidewalk whenever a group would walk down and he would beg, just ask them if there was any money, if they had any food, if there was anything that they had that he could have. He was reliant on everyone else. I remember during this time, he couldn't go off to a public bathroom. So whenever he needed to use the restroom, he literally just went out in the street and that's where he had to go because no one was there to cover him or to carry him to, to a facility or anything like that. He was just in that kind of 10 square foot area that he could get around in. And this is somewhat like what Mephibosheth's situation is like. He's a cripple and he's reliant on other people to get him around or to provide for him or to do anything for him. This is how he's living his life until the king says, wait, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you a different future. I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna take care of you. You never have to worry about struggling or going without ever again because I'm inviting you to my table. That's what God does for us, church. That's what God does. It's his provision. We didn't get here on our own. The blessings that we have, we need to stop and remember all of these things are from God. They're the blessing and they're the provision of God over our life. Not only does God take care of our lack, the table of the Lord covers our lack, but the table of the Lord, it also covers your brokenness. It covers your brokenness. Now, once again, he's living in a world where everyone can see that he's a crippled. He's reliant on other people to get around and to take care of him and to meet the needs that he has. And so everyone can see that. But I pictured him being carried to that table and being pulled up. And in that moment, he's just like everyone else that's there. The table of the king covered the brokenness and what had happened to his legs and as he's sitting at that table, he's like everyone else that is there. The king has covered him, covered over his brokenness, covered what's taking place in his life. And church, that's what we experience when we come into the presence of God. Because there's brokenness in your life and there's brokenness in my life. The Bible's very clear that sin brings death and decay and our disobedience towards God. All of those times that we told God, we're gonna do this our own way and we know better than you, God, and we're gonna make decisions for ourselves and we're gonna leave you out of the picture. It brings a spiritual brokenness into our life that cripples us. And yet God, in his mercy and in his love, he invites you and me to the table. He says, come and pull up a chair and I'm gonna cover over your past. 
I'm gonna bring forgiveness from the brokenness that you've caused in your life. It's okay, I've got you covered. That's what God does. And I'm thinking about what that had been like all of his life, people staring at him, people watching him. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of raising little kids, or maybe you can remember back to being a little kid. But my kids say the worst things at the worst times. So I remember when they were little, we're walking through the store, and all of a sudden, my daughter would yell out, Dad, what's the matter with that guy's hand? What's going on? Hey, why is he in a wheelchair? Why isn't he walking? And I'm trying to grab her and be like, come on. No, no, you can't say that. Please stop yelling. You're embarrassing. And having to teach him, okay, this is what's appropriate. You don't stare at people. You don't. And that's how he has to live his life. And then there's that awkward turn where people don't stare at you. They avoid eye contact because they don't want to look at you. They know you're in need. They know something's wrong. They know there's brokenness in your life. And that's how he has to live day in and day out until one day he's invited into the king's table. And now all of a sudden, people aren't avoiding him. People aren't looking at him weird anymore because he's covered by the table of the king. And that's what God does for you. That's what God does for me. He invites you in. And the brokenness that your sin caused, the brokenness that my sin caused, my past, all of those things, God says, I'm going to cover over that. I'm going to place my hand in my blessing. I'm going to give you a brand new start. You don't have to worry. You don't have to walk around broken or crippled anymore. My hand and my grace is covering over your life. Now, there's one other thing that happens at the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord covers your identity. Look at how Mephibosheth sees himself. He says, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog such as I? And how does David see him? David said, Mephibosheth, you can eat at my table at any point. And so he ate at the king's table and he was like one of the king's sons. See, David said, I'm not concerned about who your grandfather was or your father was. That's not gonna keep you out of my presence. Doesn't matter that other people have labeled you a cripple or a beggar or a poor individual. I don't care about those labels. I'm inviting you into the king's table. What a difference that made to be in the presence of the king. And it doesn't matter what other generals were there. Doesn't matter if there were nobles from other countries, kings from other countries. Mephibosheth always had a place at the king's table day in and day out. His identity didn't matter anymore. He was seen as one of the king's sons. He was now family. And so he had a right to come in at any point and eat at the king's table just as much as anyone else did. In church, in that same way, God invites you and me into his presence. And the enemy would lie to you and the world around you would place labels on you. And they would try to remind you of your past and things that you've done and tell you that's all you're going to amount to. That's all that your life is ever going to be about. And God comes and he says, no, I've called you my daughter. I've called you my son. You're now part of my family. I've restored you. You're invited to the king's table. You now have access to everything that is here. You have a right to be here just like anyone else. See, the table of the Lord, it covers over our identity, who we were, and God gives us a brand new start, a brand new identity. This is what we find in the presence of the Lord. And I don't know how you came into this room this morning, but I'm here to remind you that if you will come into God's presence, 
If you will start this year with every day saying, God, I want to be near you. I want to be close to you, God. I want to get near you. God's presence, the table of the Lord will cover over so much in your life. It'll cover over the lack. You don't have to live with the mindset of I don't have enough because you sit at the table of the king. He has everything that you need. You don't have to live with brokenness, just your past dictating who you are. God says, no, I'm going to bring healing, a brand new start in your life. You don't have to walk in brokenness anymore. He gives you a brand new identity.